0: Welcome back
1: to another edition of Blunt Business presented by the United States Cannabis Conference and Expo. You can find out more information at usccexpo.com. Thanks again for joining us all. We do appreciate it. This week, we're going to look inside a newly published report titled The Ultimate Guide to Marijuana Use and Insurance for 2019. All things insurance. We're going to talk to, believe it or not, a professor of journalism at New Jersey based Rowan University, which is just outside of Philadelphia. He's an analyst. Uh, and a writer with insurancequotes.com and thought it was a really interesting report he gave to us. And his name is Nick Diulio. Professor, thanks for joining us here on Blunt Business.
2: Absolutely. It's my pleasure.
1: Wonderful. Let's get right into it. Now, as we know, swift-moving legalization has resulted in a myriad of state laws that conflict with the federal government's official position on the production, possession, and consumption of cannabis. And what's more important is that the particulars of individual state laws are anything but uniform and what's considered illegal in one state may be unlawful in another. And even if they both allow for some degree of marijuana possession or consumption, as a result, the insurance implications are as vetted as they are complicated. Talk to me about some of those implications. Expand on those for us.
2: Sure. Well, really when when talking about this, uh, it's impossible to uh, escape the issue of the disparity between state laws and yes. uh, federal law. And because marijuana is still um, classified as a Schedule I uh, substance under the Controlled Substance Act, um, it leads to all sorts of problems for businesses, individuals who are Uh, either operating within the cannabis industry or are consumers of the cannabis industry in states where it's legal, um, the the clash between federal law and state law uh, really just, it runs really deep um, and creates all sorts of problems uh, that really need to be reconciled, frankly. Um, When that may happen is still anyone's guess. Um, But yeah, and we can get into some of the specifics because it really... It varies depending on what you're talking about, you know, whether it's homeowners insurance or, um, you know, uh, liability insurance for businesses, uh, you know, there's uh, just really myriad uh, problems that arise from the the disparity between state and and federal law.
1: And imagine just in the area that you're in, I mean, aside for Massachusetts or New Hampshire or Maine that have full legalization in the Northeast. You still have a lot of states that are in the middle, especially around your area, just around Tri-State, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, and others. Uh, it's Really, it <clears throat> can get very confusing up there. Now, the insurance industry has run into an interesting area. Like you said, uh, marijuana is legal in some states, but it's also not legal according to federal law. So that's a real insurance <clears throat> quandary. And now Brenda Wells, So I'm going to quote here from, Director of the Risk Management and Insurance Program at East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina. Now, do they cover it? Do they not cover it? And if they do cover it, how is it valued? And those are some of the questions that she mentioned that they're wrestling with at this stage, and it can get totally confusing. Briefly talk to me about the policies we're talking about for cannabis users and cannabis owners in this report.
2: Sure, yeah. So, and more Specifically, are we talking about um, what what are the areas
1: in a policy that you have to create for them? It's just like I said, uh, what are, I mean, if, what's the workaround that you have to do to build a policy out that will give some kind of proper coverage to anybody that's, uh, you know, probably needing a medical mm-hmm. insurance policy to be a, a cannabis user or a cannabis owner that needs insurance uh, for their business?
2: Right. So there, there's no, there's really no universal answer to that question, which you're going to hear me probably say (laughs) many times over the course of this interview, um, uh, that there, because there's, there's gray areas and and it varies from state to state and from insurer to insurer. So let's take, let's we'll table medical insurance or health insurance for a second, because that's a whole different ball of wax when it comes to say, um, homeowner's insurance. So you live in a state where it is legal to, um, you know, to, to possess uh, potentially even grow a little bit of your own uh, cannabis and you have a homeowner's policy. And let's say something happens to um, you know, the, the cannabis that you, you have stolen or lost in a fire um, or any other type of um, uh, you know, peril or loss. Mm -hmm. What, What you then run into is, first of all, is your homeowner's insurance provider going to cover that loss at all? Because homeowners or insurance companies, particularly those the the larger ones, the ones that we're all familiar with, that operate in multiple states, are really beholden to federal law in order to be able to operate from you know uh, within different states. Now, is there a difference between those
1: that are home-growing plants it's like inside of a garage with lights as compared to maybe growing it outside the yard and remember there's a chance because medical cannabis is legal that they they have some kind of a permit or something that shows if somebody asks about it they'll know that we're allowed to have this and we're growing it here properly and without risk of yeah, any hazards I-
2: yeah. And that, that's, that gets to sort of the, whenever people ask me about this topic, I, the, one of the first things I say is if you live in a state where it is legal to possess and or grow marijuana, you need to be transparent with your, your homeowner's insurance company right off the bat and right. say, here's the deal, right? Um, I'm growing it in a garden in my backyard or I'm growing it inside, you know, in a, uh, in, in an wardrobe, in, yeah. interior type. Yeah. setup. set, set, set up. Um, and see what they say. Um, There's no, you're not going to get in trouble or anything. You know, this is, again, if you live in a state where these practices are legal and what you need to find out is very specifically, um, will you cover a loss? Do you have particular parameters for how you'll value um, this, you know, actually value the cannabis that I have? Are there certain restrictions you have on what is and isn't permissible? Like they might say, you know certain types of wattage for indoor grow operations might be a fire hazard and they might have some you know qualms about that bottom line you you have to be transparent and they might say no we wouldn't cover that we wouldn't cover any of it in a loss that that's just because it's illegal federally we're not going to cover it in which case you then start calling around and you talk to other insurance providers and tell them the same thing until you land on one that can at least give you some sense that they will cover it in some sense of how they'll cover it and how they'll value it because that does the value question gets back to the quote from the uh, professor that you quoted from, from my piece where right. there's still no standard for how cannabis is valued uh, in any flat objective. Way.
1: Out of curiosity, is there any precedent where someone has been able to go ahead and file a claim for lost property that was cannabis or, or related products, and were they able to get an insurance company to give them a check back for those losses?
2: It's really interesting. So I, I detail um, probably the most, uh, the most infamous case at this point um, that has driven precedent um, uh, occurred in, in 2012. Um, there was a, a homeowner, a, a woman in Hawaii named Barbara Tracy, and under Hawaii law, she was allowed to grow and possess marijuana for her own medical use. And she, uh, at some point, 12, 12 of her plants were stolen. And she submitted a claim to USAA for, uh, it was just over $45,000. And USAA said, okay, we'll we'll pay for the loss, but we're only going to write you a check for, um, I think it was like $8,000. 8, dollars
1: yes. Now, well, how was she able to get any kind of... uh What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, uh, like an adjuster. I mean, how would how would you have been able to go ahead and make the claim of that price? I, I mean, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, evalu- uh, uh, who would be yeah, evaluate. Who
2: Yeah, yeah, the valuation. Mm-hmm. I honestly don't know how she arrived at the forty-five thousand number, and I'm also not entirely sure, frankly, how USAA arrived at their much lower number of 8,800.
1: Appraise, um, appraise is what the world's looking for. There you go.
2: Oh, appraise. Right, right. Um, I, I really don't know where those valuations or how those valuations were were made. Um, what I do know is that she went up suing USAA and saying, hey, this is, this is crazy, right? You're only writing me a check for 8,800 bucks for plants that are valued closer to, you know, 50 grand. And... And it went all the way to federal court in Hawaii. And USAA essentially was saying, look, we're under no obligation to pay any of this because it's illegal under federal law. We were essentially being kind of generous, right, um, in saying we'd write a check for 8,800. And long story short, the, the court sided with USAA and said, you know, because it's federally illegal, they're under no obligation to cover this loss. And she ended up with nothing.
1: And that's um, an interesting point. So then we have a precedent there that says, and I'm sure there might be others that we don't know about, but at least we had to say this particular homeowner with a policy with USAA, she didn't get it outright. She had to take him to court and not just regular. She had to go to federal court to get this to get this yeah. somewhere just to get. A portion of what she sought was the appraised price, which that's a good point. Right. to point there, I thought that that's a fascinating the point uh, that go in there. So now I want to continue the com- Go ahead, Annick.
2: Well, I was just going to say real quick it, that case is endemic of an, another sort of subset problem when it comes to insurance and why insurers are still so um, uh, hesitant to get into this space because there is court precedent that essentially says, look these contracts are not enforceable because of the disparity between state and federal law. Yeah. And, um, you know, so they're there, because that precedent exists and there are other, there have been other cases that have ruled more favorably towards coverage of marijuana, but there's this irreconcilable thing going on with some of these, these court precedents and yeah. insurance companies are just like, no, I'm, <laughs> I don't want to touch that.
1: Well, and, you know, and just like here on blunt business, we talked extensively about, the banking industry, and financial in general. But we have not had a chance to talk much about insurance. I'm really (laughs) glad you've come on. Uh, I'm here with Nick Diulio, though, again, Professor of Journalism at Rowan University (laughs) in New Jersey, analyst for insurancequotes.com. I'm going to continue our discussion here on the report that is called The Ultimate Guide (laughs) to Marijuana Use and Insurance for 2019. And you can find it on their website at insurancequotes.com. So we'll be back more with Nick in just a moment. But first, we're going to take a break. The 2019 United States Cannabis Conference and Expo. I'm already ready to go. I hope you are too. August 3rd and 4th in Miami, Florida. Learn more at usccexpo.com. Doctors, the day before, Friday, August 2nd, we will have our Physician Training and Certification Program where doctors can take the exam to be a certified medical marijuana physician. Patients, you'll get to see a medical doctor for evaluation so you can quickly and easily get your medical marijuana card. Also on August 2nd, we'll offer the latest trends and techniques in digital marketing, and get training on SEO from the man that coined the term Search Engine Optimization, Bruce Clay. Education, speed networking, powerful keynotes, and a very interactive exhibit space await you at the 2019 United States Cannabis Conference and Expo, August 3rd and 4th in Miami, Florida. Log on to usccexpo.com, and you secure your tickets today. Back with more with Dick Diulio
0: after this rolling into some sponsors but we'll be right back with more blunt business the national cannabis
1: industry association's sixth annual cannabis business summit and expo Returns to San Jose, California's McInerney Convention Center July 22nd through the 24th. Register today at CannabisBusinessSummit.com and take part in the most influential, award winning Cannabis Conference and Trade Show hosted by the cannabis industry's only National Trade Association. NCIA's Cannabis Business Summit and Expo offers attendees three days of engagement and interactive programs. Arrive early so you can participate in our pre conference workshops and off site tours. Join hundreds upon hundreds of exhibitors and thousands upon thousands of attendees at NCIA's 6th Annual Cannabis Business Summit and Expo, July 22nd to the 24th in San Jose, California. Register today at CannabisBusinessSummit.com. That's CannabisBusinessSummit.com That's P-O-U-C-H-Z dot com.
0: Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. (laughs) They have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. so it seems like a smart investment.
1: Look for Smart Pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or
0: order yours online at SmartPots.com. I hope you didn't forget about us, because we're back with Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back to Blunt Business here on CannabisRadio.com. Back
1: here with Nick Diulio who published a report for insurancequotes.com titled, The Ultimate Guide to Marijuana Use and Insurance for 2019. We're going to bring up another quote from Brenda Wells, Director of the Risk Management and Insurance Program at East Carolina University. Quote, Marijuana presents a very unique risk from an insurance standpoint. Not only do you have increased risk for things like fire and theft, but you also have this pervasive anxiety about covering losses for a federally banned substance. A lot of companies are reluctant to even talk about it. In general, the industry hasn't been handling this very well, but they need to figure out if they're going to cover this, and if they are, they need to be prepared to pay claims like they would for anything else. So we talked about, we already know that one case we talked about before the break, they had to go to court, and not even regular court, go to federal court to get this resolved with their pol- with their insurance company, their policyholder. What's the chances of getting covered and the price point policyholders could expect to fork out at this point. What do you hear from the insurance companies about, you know, handling what Brenda's talking about?
2: Yeah. yeah but, but as she said in that quote, they're, they're really hesitant to even talk about it all that much. Most of the people that I've spoken to who are in the insurance industry are ones who are starting to branch out um, into trying to write policies for, uh, for the cannabis industry and for folks who again consumers um who are a part of it uh right now you know you you'll get um you'll get some statements from from large insurers um usually saying either we're most of them will say we're just not going to cover it at this time um there was i believe it was the look checking out here uh on my piece um yeah, some large, some large insurers uh, nationwide, for instance, uh, Hartford Financial um, have said straight up explicitly that they're steering clear of providing insurance. Uh, Hartford released a statement in 2018 um, saying that uh, we do not underwrite any business that sells, grows, transports, or distributes marijuana or products derived from marijuana cannabinoids um, and that they don't really see that changing anytime soon. Uh, that's kind of the, the general company line at this point uh, because like I said they're they're just so hesitant to enter uh, a space that remains a bit of a, a wild West uh, in terms of econo- economic economics and policy.
1: Also just going into another story that I saw here from the cannabis industry journal that just uh, was published a, a few weeks back and they mentioned the fact about general and product liability. Uh, Cannabis-related businesses need the same general liability coverage as other businesses to protect their premises and, prop- and operations from lawsuits, cannabis owners. However, standard okay. general liability policies, excluding Schedule One substances from coverage, were not created with cannabis businesses in mind. It is still difficult for these businesses to obtain adequate general liability as a result of the legal uncertainty. I mean, is there anything where mm-hmm. I know that the federal government is trying to do things in the banking area with the Safe Banking Act to kind of open the doors, the Secure Enforcement uh, Banking Act, which would protect right. financial institutions from liability. Same thing trying to do with insurance companies. Has there been any word that where the government might intervene and at least try to open the doors for this as well? Or at least you would think agriculture type insurance would come in here and be a little more meniable to offering policies to owners correct
2: yeah yeah it, that makes me think of two things one on the agricultural front the passage of the farm bill um that which which really opened the doors to legitimate legal um uh hemp um uh, nice. as as a as a valuable you know agricultural product in the in the United States that did a lot for hemp specifically um, and so hemp owners are no longer terms.
1: they can they can actually get the kind of liability coverage now because of that act because that they, the hemp has been taken off the controlled substances have you at least seen that where if there are those that are say so if some are you know pro harvesting or growing hemp they can get covered more than they can for cannabis or is there Correct. some kind of a yeah unclear window where if a company's growing both or providing both then maybe there's a little bit of wiggle room to say, okay, you know what, we're going to do this because there's a little bit of a, you have legality here, maybe not so much here. We'll go ahead and put the policy together anyway.
2: Yeah, that's a really good point. And I I don't have any specific uh, cases where I've heard that directly, but I have definitely heard lots of anecdotal chatter that that is is starting to happen for sure. Um, But... In terms of, I'm trying to remember the first part of your question before. Um, oh, making you know, the point they, about, ter-
1: uh, oh, oh, really it was just a matter of um, where, where I mentioned um, the legal uncertainty. If the federal government has intervened, offering something oh, right, like the Safe right. Banking Act to help the insurers
2: clarify things. Yeah, um, they, really the Safe Banking Act is the only substantial attempt at this point to try and Um, calm the waters of the insurance quandary that we're talking about right now there's there's no there's no equivalent legislation uh, of the safe banking act addressing insurance uh, and the insurance industry specifically but within the safe banking act it also it it lists provisions to protect uh ancillary businesses associated with the cannabis industry which would include insurance companies so one of the reasons why the safe banking act is actually so interesting and important to folks within the cannabis industry and within the insurance industry is that it does begin to whittle away at a particular barrier to legitimate insurance coverage for these businesses. It's definitely not the greatest cure in the world. Uh, and, uh, there's lots of folks who argue it doesn't do enough, but, Right now, it's the most overt attempt on the part of the federal government to try and clear some of this up.
1: Now, I want to continue on with cannabis as we're kind of in that area now. And cannabis, back to your report, quote, cannabis-related businesses, or CRBs, face many risks and obstacles. Some of the biggest risks involve theft, general liability, product liability. Now, the National Insurance uh, of insurance commissioners wrote this in an official statement from late 2018 addressing the industry's shortcomings. Quote, companies functioning within state legality may severe, face severe banking restrictions due to federal regulations. CRBs may be forced to handle large sums of cash, subjecting them to a higher risk of theft. And CRBs share the same liability and other risks agricultural manufacturing businesses face. Workplace accidents, damage to property, crop failure are some of those examples. And also prone to fires from both wild and internal sources i mean really Mm -hmm. that's a lot of red tape to go through
2: yeah yeah and when you you know when you read that you you can start to see why again um sort of holistically why it's an industry that insurers are so hesitant to get into they insurance is it's a numbers game, right? It is, and it's something that um, it's an industry that relies on um, data and claims data from the past and valuation data so that, that these companies know, okay, what is our, what, what's the risk? And you know, how much, um, you know how do we sustain ourselves financially within the context of that risk? And right now, the risks alone forget for a second the disparity between state and federal law, the, the risks associated with this industry, um, which include risks that you would associate with any other agricultural product as you stated from that, that quote, but yeah. then have this other added risk of, you know, it's such a heavy cash-based business and there's theft and security issues, um, it, it's, it is not something that an industry that is notoriously cautious. Um, meaning the insurance industry, it's that that's not the type of landscape that that just says, "Hey, come on in, the water's fine." Uh, <laughs> it 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 feels it, to them, it looks like this is a really really tumultuous space to try to get into. And yet, ironically, it's also a space where there is untapped. There's so much untapped money. There's so much money to be made by insuring Absolutely. the cannabis industry. So. You know, right now it seems like the risk outweighs the reward.
1: Oh, Nick, I'll tell you, if I had, say, like uh, several thousand insurance uh, policy companies that were coming into a cannabis conference, say like four or five thousand, and we (coughs) went to the liabilities and just said, well, here's all the liabilities you might have to deal with if you want to put a policy together. How about product liability? You might have to deal with areas like edibles, vaporizers, uh, pesticides, mold, fungus, issues like misrepresentation label claims breach of warranty Mm -hmm. practices failure to warn if your uh Mm -hmm. (laughs) product defect results i mean i can just imagine even issues now i'm even reading about where there's regulation for all the products okay for instance uh, the bureau of cannabis control in california they have a track and trace system that has implications for product liability and that's recording inventory Mm -hmm. and movement of cannabis related products but even then the, the liability impact lies in its capacity to determine responsibility along the supply chain. So, I mean, it's not even the, even the, the local government regulation can even cover and take care of and make the insurance policyholders or policymakers feel comfortable to get into the business. This is crazy.
2: Right. Yep. Yep. No, absolutely, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, it is the, the only way that these that 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 laundry list of, of issues that you just sort of ran through, yeah. the only way that that the insurance industry is going to be able to start reconciling that is to start doing business. And it's going to require, certainly over the next few years, it's going to require some very uh, enterprising companies to say, okay, we're going to help start paving the way and figuring out what do all of these different liabilities and risks actually look like Um in the long term, because right now there's also there's like there's virtually no data for insurance companies to go off of. If you wanted to start an, an auto insurance company, um, right, you would have you have decades of data at your disposal to start figuring out you know what are what are the various risks and and how does that play into our business model and you would just be you'd be awash with data. You'd have more data than you'd know what to do with. Um, with this industry, with this space, that's decidedly not the case so they can't even really they can't dig into any sort of numbers from from the past uh to try to figure figure some of the stuff out they're just going to have to start writing policies and tackling these these various risks um head on
1: well now these companies are these business owners and these and just personal people that are holding that are using cannabis or growing or, or consuming they might not be able to get full coverage okay not for any time soon, but limited liability. You would think they would have that so that, you know, cannabis business owners would have terms and pricing they can work with that they can get and they can get a policy to at least cover some of their losses if something happens, God forbid.
2: Mm -hmm. Right, right. Yeah, it's, um, there are boutique, um, insurers, uh, smaller sort of, um, local insurance companies or subsidiaries that are starting to try and fill the uh, trying to fill the gap here that we're talking oh. about, um, but they're still that's they're they're few and far between, and and the policies are um, the policies that they're offering are rather expensive, um, cost prohibitive to a lot of you know cannabis entrepreneurs, and so a lot of a lot of folks in this space are either going without insurance entirely or just being underinsured uh, and just saying look this is part of part of the risk that we're taking which to me sounds like an absolute nightmare uh, but
1: <laughs> well let's go ahead and move yeah. on I, I want to get into one more thing before we go to break let's move on to life insurance now life insurance providers have had to grapple with cannabis its impact on the application and underwriting <laughs> process now according to insurance specialist Michael Quinn life insurance providers are wrestling with whether or not cannabis carries the same health risks as smoking cigarettes. Quinn says, quote, regular smokers are charged tobacco rates, which are often four times higher than those for non-tobacco users, but some insurers are, treated, are deciding to treat marijuana differently. What are you learning and hearing about this from the providers in terms of there are less health risks when you are consuming cannabis, not just because of the uh, the quality that's being done, but it's, because it's a, an organically grown plant.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. It's yet again, like I said, you're going to hear me say this a lot Right there, there's really no single answer to this. Some, some, um, some life insurance policies, uh, from certain companies will say, um, okay, if you, uh, if you smoke marijuana, um, no more than three times a week, you are still in the preferred side of, of the plan. Um, any more than that, and we put you in sort of the high risk, you know, cigarette smoker category. I'm speaking very broadly here, but um, other companies will say, uh, you can't smoke marijuana more than once a month. Some will say, if you uh, smoke any amount of marijuana, we're putting you in this high risk pool. Um, It really just goes all over the place from insurer to insurer, which really gets back to another problem with its federal classification because it, of its federal classification. There is such uh, there has been um, such an unfortunate dearth of scientific research and medical research that should have been taking place over the last several decades, but hasn't been able to take place given the, um, the classification of, of marijuana. And so we we're still, um, we still don't have nearly as much empirical data about the, the myriad health impacts, positive and potentially negative, of marijuana consumption. Um, there's just this huge gray area, and so life insurers are just kind of choosing these arbitrary guidelines that um, really aren't rooted in, you know, to, to my mind, solid empirical. Uh, data Like, why does smoking marijuana three times a week um, be any less averse to your health than four times or five times a week? It's It all feels very arbitrary at this point.
1: I totally agree. And the thing is, too, is that we see in the mainstream media, which, again, I can thump uh, every day, every day and all the time about all the stories that are coming out. Uh, Not that long ago, Newsweek put out a story talking about uh, driving on cannabis and how too many drivers test positive for THC. But then the whole thing is, okay. maybe there's some cases they don't have to worry about that because they're trying to because there's others that are on CBD, which, by the way, I always notice that all these stories that are trying to, you know, trying to put some bad light on the cannabis industry. And for those that want to drive, that they're showing THC being The impairment, But they don't talk about CBD. And even now, I just look at a story where, I'm pulling here from hempgazette.com. They did a story, they did a study about uh, researchers finding that, uh, and this is a research on, uh, it was a recent published study on the effects of THC and CBD equivalent cannabis on simulated driving and cognitive performance done by the researchers for the Lambert Institute for Cannabinoid Therapeutics at University of Sydney. So they showed research was both THC-dominant and THC-CBD-equivalent types, increased lane weaving during a car-following task, but had little effect on other driving performance measures. And one of the things they did was this did not involve CBD-only cannabis. Uh, so the research was there. They said that cannabis effects on driving concluded not necessarily predictable as those of alcohol, but much more research is being needed. So with all that, nobody's getting to the point of showing the proof that if you want a life insurance policy, you want to have, you know, coverage for you to have this and that. If you need car insurance, and you want to make sure you don't have to worry about, you know, anybody coming across and saying, "Well, then you were impaired driving." Yes, THC you're going to be impaired, but CBD I don't see where it is because there's no psychoactive components to it. So, right. Is there anything you've heard about at all in your study about that? Where. If somebody was a policy and they show, you know, through a doctor or whatever they have, what they have is CBD-based products, nothing THC-related, if there is a distinguishing factor between the two that might help get somebody insured.
2: Yeah, I I haven't personally really done or come across too much of that particular distinction. I think it's going to be something that we're going to be hearing more about yep. in the, uh, over the next year or so, because, because CBD really kind of burst onto the scene. I know it's been around for, for a while. Nice. I, I'm saying anecdotally, um, only in the last, you know, I don't know, few months to a year. Personally, am I starting to see it like, Oh, it's at a, at a pharmacy here in my town and CBD products are being sold at, you know, seven 11 and convenience stores. And, it's now part of the public consciousness in a way that i don't think it was in the past so i think you're going to start seeing more stories focusing on that and hopefully more studies that um, are are approaching this in the right way i'll uh, tell you what nick i think changing. i'm giving you
1: more than enough for you to do a second st- second study uh oh, another yeah. oh, report okay. you know <laughs> I'm absolutely. happy to pass along. I, I
2: could keep writing about
1: this. Oh, you can. I'll tell you, I'll pass along the materials. I'll send you my outline, and I'll send you some of the links I found here, if it helps at all. You know, maybe Rowan University can get some kind of funding to do some more research, because that would be nice, too. The more studies we can get, the better. Just saying.
2: There. Yep, absolutely.
1: That said, uh, I want to, again, uh, get back more into the uh, cannabis-impaired driving in just a moment. So... Let's talk about that on the other side of the break. Again, I'm here with Nick Diulio, a professor of journalism at Rowan University in New Jersey and analyst for insurancequotes.com. More after this. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more blunt business. Cannabis industry professionals want to gain some new leads, make genuine business connections, and get premier brand exposure? This is your opportunity. NCIA's new industry socials are coming soon to Portland, Maine, New Jersey, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, and Miami. Sponsorship opportunities available. Register today.
0: Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. (laughs) They have pot that can make you smart. Where is it? Expo.com. I hope you didn't forget about us because we're back with Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. And we're back with Nick Lillia with final questions here on
1: Blunt Business. So we've talked about, just before the break, incidents involving so-called drug driving. So a study that's being done by a national agency is the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety and the Highway Law Data Institute. They said that motor vehicle crashes are up 6% in four states, that have legalized recreational cannabis that's Colorado, Nevada, Oregon and Washington compared with four neighboring states where the drug is restricted or illegal so the cops you know law enforcement uh, government again control substance da-da-da-da. even if it is you know been legalized and you know shown for medicinal use again there's the issue of the truth of cannabis and impairment behind the wheel and I mean again, do these reports, same thing goes, wouldn't it be? I mean, I don't know if these reports contribute to the fact of which ones are CBD related or which ones are TTC related. There is a, there's a difference,
2: right? Sure, absolutely. I don't and I don't know if, I don't know how or to what extent they are making that distinct that distinction. I, I'm, I'm really not sure. I'm wondering if it's
1: just a matter of they just don't want to get to the point of that and learn the truth. Or it's just a matter of that nobody's bringing this point across to any of these studies because I'm imagining the insurers, they want to learn more information because, like you said earlier, there's money in this. They want to get that money from these cannabis business owners. There's lots of it to come in. And if they can, they would take it. But I don't think they... In some cases, I know, you know, to get policies out there and to keep afloat, you need to try to get as many policies out there as you can. So the sooner the red tape is taken off of cannabis, the better and, and better for all. But I mean, is there anything you've yeah. read about in terms of what they've tried to do to get studies done? Or has anybody within the insurance companies tried to conduct any studies to at least put a claim out that favors them?
2: I've, I've not encountered any insurance companies that are leading the charge on that. um, And I'm not really sure why, uh, if it could be a financial thing, you know that the that the money and resources it would take to conduct um, a study of that nature would be prohibitive to them at this point. Um, But you know, to to the, I I think one of the things that has to happen is in general. We need to get much more empirical and far less anecdotal. I was talking to an insurer who works in the works within the cannabis industry space out in California. He has a, a specialty insurance company, um, and he said when it comes to driving, you know, one of the things that people don't necessarily think about is what's the auto insurance. Uh, what are the auto insurance um, consequences for insuring? the cannabis industry because you've got deliveries and you've got shipments and there's a lot of driving that goes on in that industry. And he said, when you talk to, you know, traditional um, mainstream insurers, they still have this, uh, this cliche in their minds that somebody who's driving for the cannabis industry is, you know, a shaggy type, uh, you know, stoner pizza delivery dude, (laughs) who's just going to constantly be, uh, you know, getting high and driving around with his deliveries and stuff. And and then this insurer I was talking to was saying, like, you know, it's, that's so ridiculous. This is a, a very legitimate and procedural industry, and that couldn't be further from the truth. Right. But insurers still have that, um, you know, forgive the pun, cloud uh, of, uh, <laughs> you know, stereotypes yeah. surrounding this whole Conversation and, and there. I really would love to see in more empirical studies that rely on actual data so that you can show and ensure look, here's what's actually going on, here's the actual landscape, not some hypothetical, um, anecdotal conception of it.
1: There you go. Oh. Very great conversation. I think there's a lot to be said, and like I said, I just pulled all those links together. I will send those to you just for a little bit of reference. If if there and if there is anything that comes up where you can do more of research and another study, I hopefully this is something that you'll feel compelled to continue on because i think this was a great report you put out there i'll definitely make sure we link this out to those in the show description for those that want to go and check it out themselves but in the meantime uh, how can we give us an idea of where we can go and keep in touch with what you're doing maybe there's just one place where we can find the articles you've written for insurance schools and for other places and just where's the one place we can go how can we follow you
2: Sure. I would say that the two best ways uh, on Twitter, I'm Nick Diulio, at Nick Diulio, N-I-C-K-D-I-U-L-I-O. And then you can also find me uh, on my uh, professional website, uh, NickDiulio.com.
1: Excellent. Uh, Nick, I really appreciate you making time for us. This was a fantastic conversation. Again, I just don't read enough about insurance when it comes to related uh, for cannabis uh, owners and, and for cannabis users this was uh, this is a conversation we have to have more conversation about so hopefully this will uh yeah. raise a level of of dialogue about this and more things can be done about it so we hope for that yeah thanks
2: again, absolutely Nick. absolutely Don't, great well thank you so much for having me on this was a great great conversation for hey, sure. my
1: pleasure thank you again now again folks uh the Blunt Business is presented by the United States Cannabis Conference and Expo. Again, it's in uh, August 3rd and 4th in Miami, Florida. Please make sure to go ahead and join us. You, we still have room for those of you that want to go ahead and speak, sponsor, or exhibit. Never too late. Go ahead and reach out to us now, at usccexpo.com. Again, usccexpo.com to learn more. With that said, thanks for joining us here on Blunt Business. You can download past episodes by going to cannabisradio.com, subscribe to the show, Make sure to put a big five stars here for us on Apple Podcasts and review us as well, as well as Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Thank you for listening.